This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. All right, y'all. We're so excited to share an episode with you from one of our favorite podcasts, Back Issue. This acclaimed series from Pineapple Street Studios is back with season two, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. And if you haven't heard their podcast yet, go back and listen to them all. I'm telling you, it is so awesome. Hosted by Tracy Clayton, who you know as the host of Another Round and Strong Black Legends, and by Pineapple Street Studios senior producer Josh Gwynn, each episode revisits unforgettable moments in pop culture that we all think we remember. Together, Josh and Tracy unravel what these moments can teach us and how they stood the test of time or not. So the episode we're sharing with you today is on the legacy of the one and the only Whitney Houston and and just saying the words Whitney and Houston together. I mean, it all comes back. And is this the part where you start singing for me? I'm not going to sing, Jason. I'm not going to embarrass us. Just do it. I will not embarrass them. (laughs) But I will say that when I saw that they were doing a Whitney episode, I couldn't download it fast enough. I wanted to hear everything they had to say about her. It's so awesome. And and the way that Josh and Tracy, they have a way of contextualizing the way we think we remember things and the way they actually were in a really brilliant and oftentimes hysterical way. And so this is a can't miss episode. True story. The reason I listened to Back Issue, all the credit goes to Jason. He told me I would love it. He was right. And it's just such an awesome podcast. You guys are going to love it. Hi, my name is Jennifer. Hi, my name is Brianna. Hi, my name is Milton Garrett II. My name is Alexandra. And my favorite song by Whitney Houston is I Have Nothing. My favorite song by Whitney Houston is I'll Always Love You. And my favorite Whitney Houston song is I Will Always Love You. My favorite Whitney Houston song is The Greatest Love of All. I believe the children are future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. And I will always love you. And I will always love you. Staying flames if you dare. Must I imagine you there? Love, yeah, yeah. No matter. They take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Beyonce, you look like Luther Van Dross. Oh, but make it fashion. But you ain't heard that from me. Fierce. Can't Call. stop. You see, when you <laughs> do clownery, the clown comes back I to bite. I ain't gonna sleep because of y'all. It's Britney, bitch. Y'all not gonna get we no sleep because of me. But I ain't wanna go. I don't know what you're Who said that? Welcome to Back Issue. A weekly podcast that revisits formative things, people, and moments that we miss and that changed us. This week... Don't call me Susan. Okay. We're going to talk about Whitney Houston. Ah! <laughs> I am Whitney Houston. Okay. Whitney Houston. 
Whitney coming in there strong. Whitney Houston, ladies and gentlemen. Now you know I don't live things. But wow, what a moment. I will never forget. Success doesn't change a thing, does. Each week, we'll go back into the past and revisit unforgettable moments we all think we remember. And learn what they can teach us about where we are now. My name is also not Susan because it's Tracy Clayton. And I'm Josh Gwynn, and I'm just over here trying to excel, y'all. Uh, waiting for the moment, would you say? Shoot, shoot. <laughs> so, Trace. So, Josh. <laughs> you know I love a really good ballad. Mm, yes. It depends on who's singing it, though. Absolutely. Absolutely. You need the right person, like... Marvin Gaye, perhaps? Maybe a little Luther Vandross? A little a needle? A little who? A needle? <laughs> I always thought that that was the lyric to the song. A little a needle. Who do you think we're going to talk about today? I feel like it has to be one of the classic VH1 divas, which okay. means it has to be either Whitney or Aretha or Celine or Mariah or Tretch from 90 by Nature. <laughs> He was at the 99 Divas Live, so he counts. <laughs> Tretch is a VH1 diva. Oh, my God. Is it Whitney? Just tell me it's Whitney. It's Whitney Houston. It's Whitney Yay! Houston. Whitney V. Houston. I also would have been excited to talk about Tretch, probably. <laughs> but I'm more excited to talk about Whitney Houston because I love her. I mean, who else could it possibly be? I can't think of anyone who had the impact that Whitney had. Should stay. She's in a league all of her own. I would only be and to unpack her legacy, we really got to take like a comprehensive look at her entire life, right? Right. Your way. First of all, as we all know, she was a remarkable, unreal talent. Like The talent. So I'll go. And at the same time, she had this carefully constructed, curated public image. Mm-hmm. But I knew. And she really epitomizes this fundamental tension between humanity and authenticity. I'll think of you every step of. I think analyzing both her voice and her persona are going to be really crucial if we want to understand her legacy. The way and, I mean, of course, we cannot possibly cover everything here. It would take many, many hours to document the complete history of Whitney Houston, and we are both in very small, hot closets on separate coasts. <laughs> and we Don't wouldn't survive it. We wouldn't survive it. <laughs> So think of this show more of like a compilation of favorite moments or uh, memories that stick out to us, like a mixtape of sorts. A mixtape of love. <laughs> it's my very white voice, everybody. That was good. Hey, baby. Was it? Don't lie to me. I liked it. I liked it, friend. Yay! <laughs> so if this is going to be the mixtape. Let's call this part track one. Mm-hmm. Your love is my love. maybe a good place to start is by just talking through who Whitney is and was and will always be to each of us. Yeah. I think she's like one of the ones for us. Like, yeah. I feel like she was yeah. both of our f- first favorite singers. Is that oh, right? Oh, by far my first favorite singer. Oh my gosh. 
I remember, child, watching The Greatest Love of All video at my Aunt Pauline's house because she had cable and we did not. <laughs> and this is like back in the 80s. I know this because I was wearing a Mary Lou Retton sweatsuit, right? Come Mary Lou on. Retton. Right? Why do I, you know I can't remember nothing, but I remember that. <laughs> Mary Lou Retton, for those who are listening and don't know, she was a gymnast, amazing at what she did. Mm -hmm. This is like one of my earliest memories is watching this video at my Aunt Pauline's house. I used to want to be a singer when I was younger. I would write down her lyrics and try to sing them, and I would fail, but I would still keep trying. Like, she was just, she was always present in my life until she passed, I think. I don't think you're alone either. I remember begging my mom and dad to let me watch The Bodyguard, and I was, what, four? I had no business watching an R-rated movie, <laughs> and I remember just, like, begging my mom, like, I have to see this movie. And her looking at me, like, and realizing it was rated R, and, but seeing Whitney and being like, I mean, I'm, it's Whitney, so I'm not going to say no. <laughs> so impactful. And you're yeah. right, like, you and I are not alone because since the very beginning, she became America's princess, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into how all that happened and how she built and cultivated her public persona. But first... Can we please, pretty, pretty please, explain to me like I am too. Her voice. Uh, oh my gosh. How? Ugh. How, Sway? It's like a voice that defies logic, right? It's full. Take my love. It's mm -hmm. soulful. I'll never ask for too much. It's gospel, robust. but it's also, it's robust, but it's versatile. She could sing anything Any that she genre. wanted to. Any genre, yes. You can sing, you can sing. Yeah, you can sing pop, you can sing gospel, you can sing R&B, whatever it is. You can sing Yankee Doodle Dandy. Which is why I always ask the question, why would you ever in your life dare to cover a Whitney Houston song? Whenever we go to the karaoke and somebody pulls up a Whitney Houston song, I'm like, do you have a death wish? <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself? These are people who need extreme situations just to feel something, I think. You should not try to do that unless you're okay with going viral like that one little girl who was in front of her computer <laughs> trying to sing, I Will Always Love You. She got so frustrated. And I <laughs> I feel like when someone does a cover, right, they're supposed to try to make it their own, put mm -hmm. their own spin on it. Whenever I watch someone do a cover of Whitney Houston, yeah. I feel like I'm on TikTok and I feel like I'm watching people do these dances. And it's like, yeah, you're hitting each move, but... Where's the seasoning? Literally no seasoning. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you're just showing me that you're a technician, but you're not an artist. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't go the opposite way, because Whitney Houston mm -hmm. could take a song and make it hers. When I found out that the Star Spangled Banner was a cover, <laughs> I was like, what? She did not write this herself? Honestly, the only time I've ever stood up for it. Whitney Houston has this ability where she's able to just sing a song and you and your body and mind and spirit just know that this song has never been sung before. Like, you know what I mean? And it is hers. Yes. In fact, there are a lot of classics of Whitney Houston's that I did not know were covers. I feel like this is going to upset me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. We all know I Will Always Love You, Dolly right. Parton song. 
Duh. Yeah, accepted that. I'm every woman. Shaka Khan song. Shaka Khan. Mm-hmm. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Let me rock it. <laughs> so you know the song "Saving All My Love," right? Mm-hmm. For you. But did you know it was a cover? What? No. But no. I mean, it's possible, it's great. The song was originally a minor hit for Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. in 1978. But then Whitney Houston got her hands on it, and she turned it into this huge hit in 1985. As a singer, songwriter, whatever, someone who creates music, and you're like, oh, it's done. And then Whitney Houston hears it, you hear her version. Do you just quit? Yes. Like, do you, are you, you just sit like... down. You find another <laughs> job, I think, is what you have to do. Whitney brought that Lowry's to it, man. Okay. Oh, my gosh. She just made it her own. And she wouldn't have been able to do that without the gift that she was given, the talent that she was given. And I don't think that it's really hyperbolic to say that her voice was a national treasure. Absolutely not. This makes me wonder, who could possibly carry this torch, right? Like, who is the next version of a power singer like this. I don't know that they exist because the kids these days, and look, I'm not trying to step on nobody's toes. Mm-hmm. I love me some Janae Aiko. I love me some mm-hmm. Tanache, but them little whispery mm-hmm. girls, what? <laughs> that's not who we turn to. That's not this. That that's is not, not this. this. This is not that. You had this like template of black soul singers that came from church. Right, that right. That's the key. Got their training in, exactly. They got their training in church. In order to sing in church, you have to be able to sing in front of a choir. Mm-hmm. And there's just a stylistic prowess that you get from being around people that grew up in this genre. And because of the secularization of America, mm-hmm. I don't know whether the church is such a prerequisite like it used to be to being an R&B singer. Yeah, I don't know who I listen to and I'm just like, you sound like you grew up in church. Jennifer Hudson? Jennifer Hudson sounds like that. Clearly. But it's also a matter of like, who has the same crossover appeal that Whitney had from the very jump, as soon as the gates opened, her talent was recognized by people of different ages, different races, different genders. Yeah, I think that especially for Black artists, what happens is Mm -hmm. you find your fan base within urban music or R&B or rap or whatever it is, and then you get bigger and then you cross over. They want you to cross over to to white people and white audiences. And it usually takes a lot of effort. A lot of effort. But Whitney had this like backwards trajectory in terms Mm -hmm. of that because she was pitched as one of Clive Davis's grand divas. She was out there in ball gowns. She was singing huge ballads. Exceptionally beautiful. She was singing these songs that were universal. And I think to the audiences at the time, lacking in the cultural references that they were used to hearing from their Black artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was not a definitively Black artist. Right, right. Like, sonically. And I think that's what happened at the Soul Train Awards. Oh, my gosh. Where she won that award for I Want to Dance with Somebody, but everyone booed her. Good nerve. Like, I can't. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Absolutely. I think that's the moment where she was like, but I got to get in front of this because I'm not about to have my people booing me and not understanding me. Doreen St. Felix, who's a writer for The New Yorker, talked about this moment with the Soul Train Awards when they booed her and said, Houston was not, at least not initially, an R&B singer. In fact, she was aggressively pitched as the opposite. Mm -hmm. So Doreen points to this time profile in July of 1987 titled The Prom Queen of Soul. 
And it describes Whitney Houston's face, her sleek figure, her supernova smile as a Cosby kid made in heaven. Mm, mm-hmm. That's a very specific type of blackness that we're talking it, about. It absolutely is. Right? Unattainable blackness, one might even say. But I will say this, Tracy. It was spot on because did you know that Whitney was supposed to play Sandra on The Cosby Show? Nuh-uh. Really? Yeah, Jay Sandrich, who's one of the directors of the show, said Whitney had a very clear vision for what she wanted with her future, and it didn't involve showing up on set every week. Mm, you know what? I feel that as somebody who has had a job. <laughs> it's not always what you want. She said, I, I can't be in every show. He said, why not? She said, well, I have to be able to tour. So I said, do you have a record contract? No. Have you ever toured? No. And I said, well, who told you you could sing? She said, my mother and my aunt. And I said, well, you can't do the show. Let's sign the contract. And in every show, because it's about a family. said, I won't sign the contract. Whitney Houston. Talk about manifesting what you want. She said, my mom told me I could sing it, and so did my aunt. So Right. You calling my mom a liar? I won't be doing your right. little show. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. I hope it becomes something. Right. Because I know I will. Exactly. I've just never been that sure of anything in my life ever. Right. Like, I'm going to pass up this amazing opportunity for this thing that may or may not happen, but it's definitely going to. Okay, because I feel it. Right. Ugh. They're circling around the specific type of blackness that Houston represented in the zeitgeist at that time, right? The Time magazine piece calls it a, quote, overdue vindication of the neglected American institution, the black middle class. Mm. So Doreen goes on to talk about how when she was booed at the Soul Train Awards, being someone who grew up in Newark, who grew up in the black church, mm. this was like an existential blow. I can't imagine what that must have felt like for her. To not be taken seriously by the people that she wanted to be taken seriously by mm-hmm. the most. I want the name and address of every single person who was there who had the nerve and the gall and the audacity to boo Whitney Elizabeth Houston. I, Some of I y'all's can't. mamas and daddies was there. You know? Send me their names. History has its eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's looking for you. I agree. I just think it was such a pivotal moment and you can really see this sort of tension between perfection yeah. and humanity versus crossover and blackness. Just this tension pulling back and forth mm-hmm. and the ripples of it through the rest of her career, I feel like. And it also shows a war between white people making money off of us Mm. and us trying to control who we are and our humanity. Mm. You know what I mean? I feel like this takes us to one of the most crucial turning points of her legacy, in my estimation. Mm -hmm. Would you like a hint? Yes. It works for me. It It works? works. It works for me. It works. It It works works for me. It works. It It works for me. It works. It works. After the break. Go, go, go. So we're back. Hello. Hello. This brings us to our next track on our mixtape of love. It's <laughs> my very white voice again. Just, just in case you forgot, I want to talk about the disconnect between how she was pitched in the gowns and being gospel royalty and the pedigree and all of the pressure that that put on her when really she was just a black girl from Jersey who had an extraordinary talent who just wanted to use it. Like, she was always thought... Oh, wait, what? I have the perfect title for the next track. What is it? What is it? It's not right, but it's okay. I'm nominating you for an Emmy. (laughs) I know that's not what Emmys are for, probably. (laughs) This is perfect. It's not right. It's also not okay. Yeah. (laughs) But 
when we get to that tension that you're talking about between how she was pitched as gospel royalty and this pedigree versus mm-hmm. the humanity that she had, I think that there's one piece of media that I think of. What's that? The Wendy Williams Whitney interview. Ooh, Whitney, 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 I think about this so much because this is right after the Diane Sawyer interview, right? Oh, the crack is whack. The crack is whack interview. And Mm. there's a lot happening with Whitney Houston in the tabloids at this moment. Mm -hmm. And the ways that all of these publications are talking about her are very much opposed to this picture of her that we had in our head. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that she was just like a real person. She'd be wanting to slap people a lot. You could tell when she wanted to. She was tired. She was Mm -hmm. annoyed. She was fed up. Fed up, and she was ready to stick up for herself and remind you that she was from Newark. Mm-hmm. So, Wendy actually asks her if she regretted the Diane Sawyer interview. Do you regret Diane Sawyer interview? No, why should I? Well, it didn't exactly show you in the best light. You don't think so? Well, you know, Wendy, you don't show yourself in the best light. People still listen to you. When I'm not shown in the best light, I guess one of the best things that I love about my career is, is that there's always tomorrow to come back. See, and I love about my career uh-huh. is my music speaks for itself. She was so quick. She was so quick. <laughs> Whitney was ready for whatever Wendy was going to throw at her. And Wendy was known, still is known, for being just mean and messy and I remember, because I don't I don't know if I would go on the Wendy show today. You know what I mean? And I remember being like, ooh, but I see why. She held her damn ground. Right. That's why. At this point, it's Wendy on the radio, right? Like, she's a professional mm-hmm. talker. She's used to filling time. She's used to being quicker mm-hmm. on her feet. And Whitney... She was with the shits. She was with the shits. Wendy actually asked her about her drug use. Oh, child. So, Whitney, as, as far as you stand with drug use, is there drug use going on at this present time? Who are you talking to? To you, Whitney. You. No, you're not talking to me. I'm a mother. Only my mother has privy to that information. You talk to your child about that. Don't yeah. ask me no questions like I'm a child. And Don't it, ask it, me like I'm a child because I'm not a child, Wendy. You can hear this defensiveness. You can hear this territorial posture. Mm -hmm. You can hear that she's just been fighting. You can hear anger. Anger, resentment. And we all know, like, what happens when a black woman gets angry in public. Mm -hmm. This is the extent to which she was fed up and that she didn't care. And the fact that she was just like, no, I'm about to go beat Wendy's ass. I mean, I think, I I just think it means so much. It means so much. And she kind of gets to that point within the interview. She kind of lays out her thesis for, I think, how she was feeling at this moment. You are very defensive, Whitney. I have to be, Wendy. You talk about me every f***ing day. Well, Whitney... every other day. Whitney, you you keep yourself in the headlines. No, Wendy. Y'all keep me in the headlines. I mind my business. I try to maintain what I got. I want to know what I'm doing all the time. I don't give a shit about what you're doing all the time. As long as you're healthy and God is best in you and you're doing the right thing and being a decent person, I can feel that. We always have this idea that in order to be famous, one of the things that comes with fame is being consumed by an audience in all different ways that you might not be comfortable with. But Mm -hmm. what if you just want to sing and you're just like a really good singer and she comes from the time when you were famous for a talent that exactly. you had. Like yeah. a tangible thing that you were good at. You can just hear the resentment that she has at having to deal with all this other stuff that goes along mm. with singing. I would imagine it was especially frustrating to have a black woman always dogging her too. Especially yeah. like 
after what the Soul Train Award shit did to her and the way that it right. made her feel. You know, just like Absolutely. this shit again, really? Just digging and digging right. and digging and digging. Like, I remember there was a lot of speculation around her relationship with someone she worked with named Robin Crawford, mm-hmm. who has since wrote a book called A Song for You, My Life with Whitney Houston, in which she talks about how they at one point had a romantic relationship. Mm. And Wendy actually brings us up in the interview. When's the last time you talked to Robin? About a week ago. Uh-huh. Because I know that you and Robin were girlfriends from when you were growing up. And we're still friends, girl. Okay. Um, will she be working back with you, or is she still... Wendy, 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 Wendy. Yeah. Robin's not doing anything. No, Robin don't work for me. She'll work for me now. Move him right along. Mm. Well, I, I just wish she was here to give me lessons. <laughs> so... I told you that Robin wrote that book about Whitney Houston, right? Right. During her book promo, she actually got the chance to go on Wendy Williams' show. I saw that. And she confronts Wendy and tells her about how Whitney was feeling behind the scenes when this entire interview happened. I heard that interview. I got a call from my former assistant. I wasn't working with Whitney. She said, Whitney's going to be on Wendy Williams. Turn on the radio. Uh Uh-oh. That was a cumulative, fed-up Whitney Houston that I heard. She was Mm -hmm. tired. Mm -hmm. She was tired. My favorite part of the interview is when Robin says that her and Whitney at one point were, like, going to hide and wait for (laughs) for Winter to come out and beat her ass, basically. She was with it. With every single shit available. Every single one available. We get in the car, the radio is on, and you're, like, you're talking like you live with us, like you're you're roommates (laughs) with us. We'd be in the car, we'd be sitting still, and Whitney would say, who the... Who is she? Okay. And our plan was to go down to Hudson Street and squat like Khalif waiting for you. Right outside the house. Robin! I can't even fight! So just as this interview kind of showed us, or at least showed me, mm-hmm. the Whitney behind all the glitz and the glitter and the gowns, mm-hmm. there's another thing that did that for me as well. And we're going to discuss this with the next track on our mixtape, which is Something In Common. We got something in common. Those are the only words. I, I was going to join in with you, but <laughs> that's all I know is that they have something in common. Confession is my least favorite Whitney song. Same, me too. And it's not me because too. of like Whitney and Bobby and other. It just wasn't a great song, you know? The thing that we're going to talk about, ladies and germs, is being Bobby Brown. How does that theme song go again? Being Bobby Brown. (laughs) This is a really uncomfortable time in my media diet history because I loved, uh, I loved this fucking show. And I love this show because I love ridiculous shit. Yeah. And this is so ridiculous. It felt novel. It wasn't something that I'd ever seen before. I'd never seen someone who was like an A-list celebrity superstar of the world doing reality television. Right. Where you could see this sort of intimate detail into their life. I had never seen it. Right. And like, she's not just doing reality television. Yeah. What this show bounces around in my head is this tension that we've been talking about Mm -hmm. between like perfection and humanity. Even just within the relationship with her and Bobby, right? Yeah. She said it herself. She was like, I was America's princess, then I married the bad boy. Exactly. And she was very intentional about it. Like, I I believe that they were in love. I don't think that she married him just to make a point or anything. 
But because she came to us as a crossover artist from the very beginning, like, white people were already mm-hmm. into her. And then she marries Bobby, and then they're like, oh, she's that kind of black. You know what I mean? Mm. So tell me about being Bobby Brown. Let's get down to basics. Where does this show come from? I thought you to never ask. <laughs> Being Bobby Brown premiered June 30th, 2005. And for the uninitiated, this is like your standard run-of-the-mill reality TV show where there were cameras following Whitney and Bobby documentary style over the course of doing normal things like camping or like traveling from here to there, shit like that. The show only lasted for one season and it ended because Whitney didn't want to do it anymore. And I think that that is completely fascinating. Mm-hmm. What was the moment where she was like, you know, this is too much? <laughs> right. You know, what was the straw? Was it a bad look for her career? A bad look for her? Was she getting tired of Bobby? What was the story? But there's so many moments that came from that show. Seriously. Do you remember Whitney yelling, kiss my ass? <gasps> kiss my ass! Oh my God, do I? <laughs> it's one of my favorites. So this is before Twitter, right? Before Twitter and like internet memes. But still, this is a moment that was memed on shows like Talk Soup on E. Yeah. And I would love to give some context for this moment, but honestly, it was just Whitney and Bobby having this conversation about George Bush and being American and then, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Whitney's tired of talking about it. She's just like, kiss my ass. (laughs) And so, what a comeback, you know? So I think I'm going to start doing that whenever I don't want to continue a conversation with someone. Kiss my ass! Like when I try to peer pressure you to move to LA. <laughs> see? You see how that works? Sparkly. I Amazing. love that. Amazing. I love, I love that. it. <laughs> so anywho, as I was saying, there's all these really fun and funny, hilarious moments. And it's also, it is so dope to just like see Whitney break out into song because that's honestly like what I was waiting on. That's my favorite part of the entire show. Oh my gosh. Because I always think if I had a voice, if I had an instrument like that, I would sing every, you would get so tired of me. I'm singing the the menu when we ordering out on Seamless. I'm singing all of my insults to you, like everything. And it's so fun to see her just break out into songs that she likes and to discover what songs that she likes. Like when she was singing Fergie and the Black Eyed Peas. Shut it up. Just shut up. Shut and up. Bobby's in the background <laughs> doing the Harlem Shake. Oh, my God. It was the laziest Harlem the Shake laziest in the world, Harlem by the, the way. World. It was a Harlem shimmy. It was a Harlem shimmy. And then, of course, Josh, there's our favorite moment. Can you guess what that is? It worked for me. It worked. Hey, it hey. Worked for they worked for me. They worked. Uh, uh, uh. Move like this on me. I think it's tight, but they get down. They work for me. They work. They work for me. They work. They work. What was actually happening? Thank you for asking me because this is the kind of knowledge I carry around my head all day. Mm-hmm. And I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> so what happened was they were traveling somewhere. They're in this hotel, right? Mm-hmm. Bobby Brown is in a hotel gift shop, and he's talking to the poor little confused lady who's running the register, and he's got Preparation H, right? And he's rubbing it underneath his eyes. (laughs) Y'all swear to God. This really happened. I swear. There's evidence of it on the internet. And so he's putting Preparation H under his eyes, and he's talking to this woman. He's just like, I need Preparation H. I don't need it for my butt, though. I don't need it for my butt. I need it because I hear that it shrinks the bags under your eyes, and me and my wife were up late last night. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, this is weird. It's weird, Bobby. You don't have to tell this lady all of this, and you don't have to put this on in the gift shop. Anyway, mm-hmm. Whitney comes in, right? 
Bobby goes over to her to ask her something. He's like, baby, I need, and Whitney just starts singing and repeating what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I need, I need, I, I, I need. I would and do that. <laughs> I do that all the right, time. Right. I was just like, me and Whitney have something in common. Something huh? in you common. You see what I did? Uh, uh. And so then Whitney's like, yeah, we can do that. But first, she tries on these glasses. And she's like, do you like how these glasses look on me? Do they work for you? They work for me. They work they work for me. Yeah, they do that dance that you do whenever you're like 90s dancing. Yes, and they just they just get stuck there for a second. And for a minute, I was like, this is why they're together. They are so in love. They're very much in their own world. And of all of my catalog of random pop culture moments that pop into my head once a day, this is top two or three. So there's lots of fun, funny moments like that that stick out of my head. But then there are moments from the show where... There's, like, this undercurrent of kind of, like, concern. Yeah. Like, is everything all right? Yeah. There's this one clip of Bobby and Whitney in a house or a hotel room. I can't really tell where it is. Mm-hmm. But at least Bobby's drunk. Whitney is, like, annoyed with Bobby being drunk. Mm-hmm. And he's walking around, and his, <laughs> his shoe's stuck to his foot, and he's just like, stop following me, shoe. Stop mm-hmm. following me, shoe. And Whitney gets annoyed, but then it, like, ends up in the beginnings of a fight. Mm-hmm. Why is my shoe following me? Drunk. I told you that at the restaurant. You did not. <laughs> That's not cute to be with seen. That daughter, you got kids, man. I know I got kids. No, you don't act like it. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Now I ain't drunk. What you talking about my kids for? Yeah, you better close the door. And I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. It's scary. There have been so many accusations around domestic violence and... Mm-hmm. So it's just like, what happened once the cameras cut off? What happened when the cameras weren't even there, you know? Mm. Bobby Brown was really big at one point, you know? He was huge, He was huge, yes. and Post-New Edition, oh my gosh. But then the bodyguard just took off. Mm. And I really feel like that can really mess with the dynamics of a relationship. Yeah. There's this conversation that Whitney Houston and Oprah had. Mm. They have this conversation like a year or two before she dies. Mm. So it's much later where she's able to have space from it and look back at the relationship that she had with Bobby and how she really felt like she needed to make him feel comfortable with her success in her light, even if it meant dimming Mm -hmm. her own. And to not make him feel bad. Yeah. Did you try to overcompensate I tried to play down yeah. all the time. Yeah. I tried to play. I'm Mrs. Brown, everybody. Yeah. Don't call me Mrs. Houston. I'm Mrs. Brown. Did you start to lose yourself in that? Because you're now yeah. trying to... Trying to please? Yeah, trying mm-hmm. to please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to not be so big? Yep. Yeah. Sure did. Yeah. And that's where it started to go wrong? Yeah. Because you started to dim your own light. Yep. Sure did. I think that being Bobby Brown, really, to me, when I look back at it, it really feels like an attempt to kind of, like, dull her shine a little bit. Yeah. She's like, I'm not Whitney Houston, I'm Whitney Brown. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Which is wild because the opposite is what happened in real life. There was a scene from the show where there's some place and he's trying to get somebody to remember him. He's like, hi, I'm Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown. Then he's like, Whitney Houston's husband. Mm. And to listen to how she felt like she had to do that with that kind of talent, yeah. it just makes me so sad. Yeah. Too real, yeah. too real. I want out. Untag me, me I want me out. Too. And like, it's difficult to imagine Whitney 
the Whitney Houston going through this sort of stuff, right? Like, she's beautiful, she's talented, she's rich, she's on all these pedestals. She should be right. immune to that kind of treatment. Right, but right. when you think about it, like, she's a celebrity, and she was very much in the public eye, so it kind of only magnified everything that was going on in her life. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And if Whitney is going through it, then that's, like, proof that it's inescapable, everything is trash, put the earth in rice, and just start over again. I hate it here! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can go much further into this analysis of Whitney Houston's legacy without acknowledging what feels really difficult, even though it happened so long ago, but yeah. still feels like it was yesterday, right? Yeah. Do you remember where you were when she died? I do remember. This is when I was living in Louisville mm-hmm. after I had lived in Philly. And again, y'all know I have Swiss cheese holes in my memory. So the fact <laughs> that I can remember this much about this day and this moment mm-hmm. says a lot. I had already had plans to go out with some friends to happy hour. I remember like right before my friend was supposed to come and pick me up, mm-hmm. we got the news that Whitney died. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, my God, have y'all heard the news? Do you still feel like going out? Should we go? And we were just like, yes, we have to go out and do this for Whitney. We have to celebrate her mm. legacy. So I can't remember where we went, but I do know that most of the people there were white because this is Kentucky. But <laughs> the restaurant was playing nothing but Whitney on repeat, and every single person was singing every single uh... word. And I'm trying to tell you, there has not been that much racial unity in Louisville <laughs> since that day. Period. Full stop. Crossing the divide. (laughs) Seriously. I just remember I got a three-way call from my mom and my grandmother. Remember three-way? Does that still exist? Yeah, it does. It does exist. Hmm. But I haven't gotten one in a long time because who talks on the phone? Did somebody die? Like, why? Anyway. (laughs) So, (laughs) But someone had died. And so I got a three-way call from my grandma and my mom. And we were all just like, did you hear yeah. Mm. And we all were just like, are you okay? Because it, it was like this one moment where this person that was important to all mm-hmm. of us, like all three generations of us were all like, wow. Right. That hurts. That's tough. I feel like that's because there's something universal about her and her voice and her music. But also it felt mm. extra sad because by this point in her life, her and her addiction issues and stuff are in the news all the time in the tabloids. So yeah. it felt like there was something really like broken about it. Yeah. There was a moment in her career when she went from being America's sweetheart, the, what was it, the Cosby kid from heaven, to being tabloid fodder. Mm. It's wild that that happened to her in her career, but it did. She was such an easy target, I think. Right. Because of her addiction issues, because of Mm -hmm. what seemed like a dysfunctional relationship with her husband. And because people realized she was black, I think. Right, that too. And so... Everyone was making fun of her all the time. I remember the Mad TV skits that Deborah Wilson used mm, to do. Yeah. Where she used to mess up the words because she was high. I remember mm. Whitney on crack being like a punchline of every stand-up comedian. VH1 drug her exactly. through the mud. It was really yeah. bad. Joshua, guess what time it is? What time is it? It's time to consult with the cardboard cutout of Tyra Banks that we both have in our brains. (laughs) 
No, but I will take a cardboard cutout of Tyra Banks. I would love one. If anybody has one laying around, send it to us. (laughs) But this is where we ask the age-old Tyra Banks question. Did we... Learn something from this? No. Well... Wasted that sound effect. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> I learned something. What? I learned that we need to start a campaign to get a new federal law on the books that you cannot and shall not attempt to cover Whitney Houston. (laughs) (laughs) But beyond that, I think that we uncovered more about the person that Whitney actually was, right? Like, I can quote being Bobby Brown. I can quote parts of the Wendy Williams interview, but I don't often Mm -hmm. sit and like really appreciate and consume what's being said and what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it increased my appreciation for the person that she was. And it just makes me want to fight everybody who booed her at the Soul Train Awards. (laughs) Like there's a list of people who owe Whitney Houston an apology, starting with that entire audience. Let's just make the list. Let's make the list. Mad TV, apologize with all of your heart. Those Deborah Wilson sketches, my gosh. Wendy Williams, obviously, needs to apologize. Also us. Mm, Say more, say more. We know they're going through traumatic experiences. We can see them going through traumatic experiences. But instead of offering them the help and support that they need, even if they aren't in a place where they can receive it, we turn it into the freak show thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're having a lot of conversations about how we need to change that. But it's not something that I don't think we've really wrapped our hands around or wrapped our heads around yet. Yeah. Especially with that documentary that came out with Britney Spears, Framing Britney Mm. Spears. I think that right now we're going through a time where people are looking back at how the media has treated celebrities and treated singers, specifically women. Mm. Right now, it seems like there's a really big focus on white women. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) I mean, cool. Surprise. And I mean, let's be crystal clear. This is, has always been and will forever be a Free Britney podcast. It's in the bylaws. We're stronger than yesterday. I'm just (laughs) letting you know. Don't get it twisted. But I do think that we're going through this moment where we're really sitting down and examining how we've treated people with substance abuse issues Mm -hmm. and LGBT issues. And I hope that we would handle them differently. But part of me feels like I don't think we would. Honestly, like, and that makes me really sad about where our culture is right now. And where it's going as well. Yeah. You see the same thing happening, like Britney Spears we mentioned, Monica Lewinsky. Oh, my gosh. Like, I wish I had her email address. I would apologize to her specifically because I just didn't know better. And I think a lot of times when shit like this is the norm, it's possible that you just don't know better. And so you watch all of this stuff happen and you watch people say awful, horrible things to other people like in public view and it doesn't offend you like it should because you don't know any better, you know? Right. And when you know better, you do better. So like, obviously we should have done differently to Whitney. Like she deserved better. But we, at the very, very least, we should take what we learned from that situation and try to push Seriously, investigate the way that we talk about mental health and like the way that we talk about addiction, especially with black people. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then also reimagine what we think our relationship to fame is. I'm thinking of Naomi Osaka. Mm -hmm. She's a really famous tennis star, right? Mm -hmm. She decided in order to protect her mental health that she was going to take steps to not interact with the media. What is wrong with that? Yeah. Is that not what we want people to do? Yeah, it's not. And I heard so many people being like, you're an athlete. You're making all this money. Just shut up and like do the interviews and play the game. Shut up and let us tear you down. Shut up and let us make ourselves feel better about 
not being famous and rich by making you want to kill yourself. It feels like Whitney Houston again. Mm-hmm. So, like, in Whitney's name, I think we need to treat Naomi Osaka better. I think mm-hmm. we need to treat Simone Biles better. Absolutely. I'm thinking about her walking away from the team events at the Olympics because she felt that she was not in the right mental state. Right. And that's so admirable. And, like, when you think about it, like, what the pressure that she must be under right now. Because when I right. saw it, I was like, she's pulling out in, like, the finals. But then I was like, of course. This is when shit is, like, probably the hardest. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I'm, like, looking at her Instagram, and she said, it wasn't an easy day or my best, but I got through it. I truly do feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders at times. Mm. I know I brush it off and I make it seem like the pressure doesn't affect me, but damn, sometimes it's hard. Ha, 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 exclamation point. (laughs) Do you know how hard I identified with that ha, 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 ha? Because you know it wasn't a smile anywhere in the room when she typed that. She was just like, let me make it like a little softer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I just, I'm thinking of them and I'm thinking of just all of the reactions and how this is like the perfect example in which we could use the way that we learned from how we as a culture treated Whitney and we can do mm-hmm. better this time. Mm-hmm, right. Like Naomi and Simone... They are setting the example for how to love yourself and care for yourself. Right. And we shouldn't be down on them for that. We should be following in their example, you know? Goals. Icons. And actually, you know what? In the spirit of that, Josh, I'm going to go. I'm done with this episode. It's just, (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) 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 LOL. I think that we should all apologize to Whitney, and I think that in Whitney's name, we should really, really, really try to just show some more empathy to people, whether you know them or not, whether they're accessible or not. Like, sacrificing your mental health is not a prerequisite for success. success. It's not. You don't have any rights to someone's peace or happiness just because they have something that you don't. Look, nobody wants to be rich more than me. I promise you. (laughs) I swear to you. And there was a time before I knew better, you know, like I'm on Twitter talking shit about celebrities just like everybody else was in the dawn of Twitter. And like all of us did it until we knew better. Yeah. Well, church, as of this moment, if you didn't know better today, you know better now. So in Whitney's name. Do better. In Whitney's name, put your mental health first. Seriously. And let other people put their mental health Mm, first, too. Yes. And if they don't let you, you know what you say? What? Kiss my ass! (laughs) (laughs) Bravo, bravo. Kiss my ass! Back Issue was a production of Pineapple Street Studios. This show was created and is hosted by Tracy Clayton. That's me. That's me. And also Josh Quinn. <laughs> that's me. That's me. Our senior producer is also Josh Quinn. And our lead producer is Emmanuel Hapkins. Our managing producer is John Asante. Our senior editor is Leela Day. Our associate producers are Alexis Moore, Zandra Ellen, and Brianna Garrett. Our intern is Arlene Arevalo. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Zielinski. Our engineers are Raj Makija. He made a lot of the original bops you were bopping to in this episode. And Davey Sumner. This show also features amazing music by Don Will. You can follow him on the socials at Don Will. And you can follow me on the socials at Brokey McPoverty. You can follow me at Regarding Josh on all the socials. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever free podcasts are sold. Leave us a mm-hmm. review, especially if it's a positive one. It really does help. Five stars, please. Thanks in advance. <laughs> See you next week. Okay, bye. bye. <laughs>
build and cultivate her public we hope you enjoyed this special presentation of Back Issue. New episodes are available weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.